Experience the magic, comedy, and men behind Kane and Abel Talking Tricks by experiencing Kane and Abel Live. We're at the following places. The Sterling Fringe on March the 1st and 3rd. The Adelaide Fringe on March the 5th through to the 17th. April 6th, we're at the Bath Comedy Festival. May 4th, 5th, 6th and 31st, we're at the Brighton Fringe Festival. Back at the Brighton Fringe in June the 1st and the 2nd. And June the 14th, we're at the Hastings Comedy Fringe. Visit www.caneandablemagic.com forward slash tour for more. You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety and comedy performers. Hello and welcome to Talking Tricks, a podcast presented by us, Kane and Abel, two magicians with the exact same voice. And we want to thank you all very much for hitting the download button on this week's episode. And a massive, massive thank you to everybody that listened to last week's episode with Max Maven. If you haven't done so already, go back and listen to it now. It's been our most popular podcast so far because Max really is a superstar of the world of magic. And do us a favour, if you've listened to Max and you're now giving us a second go, coming back for another week, do us a favour. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. We've got some really good numbers so far. We're really, really pleased with how this podcast is going, but we want to do better. We want to get the conversation going around it. So let some people know that you've enjoyed it. There's been some lovely shares and posts and likes on social media over the last week for the podcast. And we've got some great episodes lined up. We're heading off to Australia in a few weeks' time and we're going to get some Aussie performers for you when we're down there. But... Coming up in a minute on Talking Tricks, we're meeting professional wedding crasher, Elliot Bibby. He's a lot more than that though. He's currently performing at the Perth Fringe World Festival in Australia. So check him out if you're in Perth. He's touring the world. You're gonna hear all about Elliot's life as a professional wedding crasher, as a professional magician, touring Australia and all sorts. Coming up now on Talking Tricks. So joining us now on Talking Tricks is Elliot Bibby, professional magician and professional wedding crasher, really. Elliot, how many weddings a year do you think you get to? Uh, let me quickly do the maths. So I'm usually doing about two or three a week, a lot. <laughs> and this, is this all throughout the year? Or obviously do you have a peak season? Um, it mostly peak. No, it's probably actually throughout most of the year. Um, yeah, so there's a, a lot of them usually... July time um, and September as well for some reason. September, October are quite popular. And what kind of things are you are you doing at the weddings then? Um, so I I used to do a lot of background. I used to do a lot of drink receptions, and that's what I used to do. And I used to try and fit two, sometimes three at a push um, a day in. Now I do a full day package, um, and it's it's easier for me to sell that to people so that it's less travel. Yeah, I'm just lazy, <laughs> but you, I, I like to try and get more money for a full day than try and fit in two or three for a third of the price. Yeah. So what will, a, what will a day package of Elliot Bibby involve? Um, so there's a day package where I'll have uh, a turn up, I arrive early, do the drink reception part, and then I hang around, do, I offer like a Toastmaster service where I can announce the bride and groom into the room, um, introduce the speeches, and then I can do a little bit of stuff around the tables as well. I then have a special trick for the bride and groom, which 
is top secret. <laughs> Special trick and that happens at a certain point of the day with everybody's full attention which is quite nice, which is completely different from I know there's only a handful of people offering that at the moment, so it's quite a unique selling point. And then I can do some evening stuff as well. It's quite interesting. Uh, it sounds like um, we're doing the kind of the big thing for the bride and groom that everyone sees it. That is that a quite a good way to, to make sure everyone knows you've been there and the biggest chance of getting rebooked? Yeah, absolutely. So it shows that it just shows off my sort of skills that it's not just the close up magic I do. It's also the stuff on stage and in front of um, like larger audiences also the the toastmaster service type thing comes from um like the hosting and um, comparing stuff that i do as well so yeah i thought i'll play my strengths and put them all into the one package and offer that and tricks wise then what kind of magic are you doing at these shows at these weddings so i'm at a stage now where i'm creating unique stuff that only i do so i'm taking the basics that i've learned for numerous numerous years um of hard work of reading books and seeing the latest tricks that have come out. A few of them are in my set, stuff that you can see in the sort of Magic Dealer Hall at Blackpool and all that stuff. And, but I'll take them, I'll put my own bibby twist on them and, and yeah, sort of create my own sort of stuff. Kind of at weddings, what, what part of the day do you, do you kind of think that magic best works? If, if you're a magician and maybe you don't want to pitch a full service uh, mm. like you do, but you kind of wanted to pitch yourself to one part of the day, what, what part of the day is, is magic the best received on, on someone's wedding day? Um, I think the best part would be definitely during the drink reception um, when the bride and groom are getting their photographs taken, that's the best part to pitch it because there's like a little bit of a lull there. Um, also when the sometimes the evening reception, so when they're turning the room around, so they've had their meal. Uh, evening guests are arriving. I sort of act as a host at that point, at point of the day, um, welcome the evening guests and mix them in with the daytime guests as well. Uh, the worst part is when the bride and groom have their first dance. You don't really want to be doing magic then. Is magic the kind of thing that a lot of people are looking to have on, on their wedding day? Or do you often feel that you have to begin the process in showing off the benefits of having a magician at a wedding to people? I mean, some people have seen it at their friends' weddings, and well, that's a good idea. Um, I mean, there's some crazy forms of entertainment. Most people think, oh, we'll just book a band or we'll book something, that's our entertainment. But now there's a lot more popular things like obviously candy carts, donut walls. There's in Scotland, there's a Shetland pony called Bob that goes around, um, and you can get photographs with them, bouncy castles, all sorts. So there's a lot more crazy, wackier ideas that people are, are doing. So I suppose having the magic there, it's just another option for them. So trying to sell the real benefits to them is, is the hard part. And I know that you're, you're quite active in, in seeking out weddings. Are you, do you often go to things like wedding fairs? And if so, what are the benefits you find from that? So I pick and choose the wedding fairs that I go to. Yeah, I, I used to do an awful lot and every single wedding fair that would come in, I would try and do or I'd have someone do for me. Maybe someone that I employed to go there and sell my services. But then I found it's, it's me at the end of the day that people are booking and paying into. So I sort of have to be there. I'll have someone there on the day to take details or to fill in the paperwork so that I can then move on to the next person. So yeah, I'll, I'll probably do some of the bigger shows um, if I can, in Scotland anyway, um, just so I've got a presence there and people see me, but most of the work that I get are from the smaller ones where I'm a recommended supplier, where they have their in-house days, the ones that you don't usually pay for or you get paid to go to. 
I know it's a crazy thing, people are like, what? You get paid to go to Enfields, but at the end of the day, the way that I sell it is that I'm there entertaining their guests, um, so it's almost like a normal gig for me as well as a good promotional thing. Um, I get on quite well with a lot of venues in um, specifically Edinburgh where I'm based, but also the whole of Scotland, so when they invite me to go along, it's, it's, it's quite nice, and I can they sort of sell me as well. So I need to go and see the magician Elliot over there, he'll show you something cool. And, so yeah, they, they almost sell it for me, which is nice. So attending weddings throughout the year, you must have some, some interesting uh, wedding stories. Have you maybe come across a, a bridezilla or, or some sort of, <laughs> obviously naming no names, but kind of what interesting situations has happened at weddings so, for you? Yeah, I've got one story that stands out in my head. Um, I'd been booked by the father of the groom as a surprise. Um, and it turned out it was June, it was in August, so when the Edinburgh Fringe was on, so I was pretty busy anyway doing shows in Edinburgh and I had to travel to Glasgow during the day to do this wedding. Did the drink reception just a couple of hours and then I was going back to Edinburgh. And I arrived and I actually, the couple had actually seen me before at a wedding show and the bride went, oh no, no, I don't like magic, uh, I will never have a magician. So I was chatting away to them, I thought I'd like to try and find out why she didn't like magic. And she'd had a really bad experience when she was younger. So I said, oh, okay, no problem. Enjoy the rest of your day, all the best on your wedding day when it comes. So then I arrived and because it had been booked in a different name, I didn't, I didn't know who the, the, well, the groom, I knew who the groom was but, and I'd been I'd be dealing with the bride on that day. So I hadn't put two and two together. So I turned up, I'm ready to go. And the bride and groom, they come out, they get their, their little glass of champagne, Prosecco comes out and she just looks at me and her face basically dropped and she was like, what, what are you doing here? And I was like, and I sort of dropped as well. I was like, oh no. And then the father of the groom comes in and goes, oh, Elliot, how are you doing? You're ready to do the magic? And like the bride and groom got whisked away to get some photographs and they all went out for a big group shot. I then, and um, was ready to go, still hadn't performed any magic. Father of the groom comes in and goes, oh Elliot, I'm, I'm really sorry. Um, the, the bride doesn't want you to be here on her big day. She absolutely hates magic. Um, I know I've already paid you in advance, but can, can you just go? <laughs> so I was like, um, yeah, okay. Um, do you want to see anything? He said, oh, okay, yeah, go, show, show me one trick and then I'll let you go. And I showed him one trick, jumped in my car and then drove back to Edinburgh. I mean, I got paid full, my full fee and everything. But, yeah, I didn't really want to spoil that bride's day by being there. <laughs> a bit of an easy gig, though. Oh, yeah, it was probably one of the easiest gigs I've done in my life, yeah. <laughs> and, and kind of with weddings, I, I find whenever whenever we do weddings, we, we always just do the drinks reception. We, we started at a time when people were still booking us to do, like, 45-minute evening show. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of find that people more and more often are like, we'll go for a band in the evening, and, and, and we will do the drinks reception, I find that's the best time when people are most receptive. Do you find that the, the majority of people at weddings are not like that, right? They want to see something, they're excited to see a magician? Yeah, they are, because I mean, lots of people have been to weddings, they have, it's almost like a novelty having a magician there. Um, obviously, magic's become a lot more popular in recent years, which is good, and they really want to see a good close-up magician live. Um, so if they are seeing a good close-up magician, that's great. If it's not a good magician, then it's not ideal. I like to think of myself as alright. <laughs> so yeah, they are quite receptive. Um, as the night goes on, especially evening reception, when there's, they've had a, a lot of alcohol, especially in Scotland, at Scottish weddings, there's a lot of alcohol flowing. Yeah, they, they are sometimes it can be quite difficult to deal with 
But I mean, I've got a background, I've come from a lot of nightclub magic, I used to do that an awful lot, so I can perform in loud spaces and to drunk people. Um, so I've got a lot of friends that I'll go out and perform in the evening reception and they're trying to tell the band to turn the music down or get the DJ to turn the music down and it's all about them. But I think as a magician or a performer, you have to adapt to your situation and you have to have an, an arsenal of tricks that are ready to go for any situation. So, you know, how many, because obviously any magician can, can go to a wedding or any kind of gig with an everyday pack of cards and you can perform card trick after card trick after card trick. Obviously there's a lot more, as our listeners will know, preparation to a lot more tricks. Um, how many tricks will you kind of go armed with, ready to perform? So the amount of tricks that I have on me, I used to go with every pocket full <laughs> for every eventuality, just in case someone asked me to do something. Um, now, because I've been doing it for quite a few years, I know what people are going to say, so I prepare myself for that. So even simple things like, oh, can you turn my £10 note into 100 I'm ready to go for that. So, oh, really? So it's almost like a, an off-the-cuff type thing. So I almost invite those questions um, so that it almost looks like a miracle that they've just gone, oh, yeah, can you do this? And, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, let me try this. And I will do it, turn their £10 note into 100 um, which seems more like a miracle. My style of magic is quite improv. I, I won't have, oh, this is my number one set, this is number two, this is number three, right, I'm ready to go, I'll switch it around. I'd probably have seven, yeah, seven, maybe eight tricks that are routines that are on me at any one moment. And yeah, I'll, I'll always open in, I'll always open with my opener and then I don't even know what I'm going to close on. I'll, uh, I'll always open with the, the same opener and then I'll just see where it goes, depending on the audience, if they're quite receptive, if they need to kick up the backside to get going a little bit, keep the energy high. Um, yeah, there's, I, I don't really know where I'm going to go with it and I'll always try and play off what other people are saying. So yeah, maybe separate tricks. Was weddings kind of something that you always wanted to do and was it always an aspiration for it to be as much of your work as it is or is, did it just end up happening by accident? Yeah, it just sort of happened by accident. I was, I was doing a lot of, I can pull all different random gigs all over the place and then I sort of got in with the venues and then the venues started recommending me more to their couples um, and then I just found myself doing a lot more weddings and it sort of spiraled from there. I became good friends with photographers and videographers who would then recommend me because they're like, oh yeah, you need Elliot here so we can actually capture some good photos and reactions of people. So yeah, making friends with other suppliers is a good thing to do um, and get them talking. Basically, as many, you can, if you can try and get as many other people talking about you and recommending you, then that's the best sort of exposure. Advertising, there we go, advertising. <laughs> it, it's the best way to, to secure future bucket. Absolutely, yeah. So if you can get other people talking about you and recommend you, then that's, that's probably the best thing. Um, but yeah, I really sort of just fell into it that way. And then as more gigs came in, more people saw me at weddings and they're like, oh, we're getting married on this date. Can you check this date? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, here's a golden nugget for you. <laughs> um, if someone says, oh yeah, if, can you check this date for me? They've obviously got an event in mind. So open up your calendar there and then on your phone. Um, or maybe after you've finished performing, take them to the side and go, what was the event? And make a note um, in your phone at that date. Um, get their email address, get them to type that in. So you want their details 
and then just send a little email going, oh, it's great to meet you last night. I know you were talking about your event. I'd love to, I'd love to perform there. And also they're still going to be at a high of seeing you, so they might then book you there and then. And with that initial email back, will you, will you maybe send like a link to videos or stuff like that to, to remind them of you? Or I, I, I'm sure, in fact, I think I know you've got um, a link to your website, certainly on your email signature, but are you kind of sending stuff across to people at that point? In that email, I'm always, after they've gone away and they've left their notes, I might nip to the sides or go to the toilet, pretend to go to the toilet, and I'll make a note of what their name was and what tricks I performed for them and then I can sort of relay that back in email going, oh hi Jeanette, it was great to meet you last night. Remember I did that trick where the card ended up in the Kit Kat? Oh, yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Yeah. And maybe your friends might like to see something similar to that. Here's the here's a link to me performing it live or here's my showreel, here's my wedding showreel, etc. And send them a few more clips and then Get them, get them on their social media as well, trying to get them on there so that they're constantly seeing stuff. And then I can sort of drop them into a sort of workflow of emails that will automatically get sent out to them every few weeks so that um, I'm staying in contact with them. Um, yeah, and then if they don't book me, then well, that's their fault. <laughs> Final question on weddings, because you're not just a wedding guy. There's so much more strings to your bow, and I want to um, discuss that with you. But um, if I'm a young magician or a magician of any age maybe that wants to start doing weddings, what would your, your top tips be to A, getting booked and B, being the best possible wedding magician around? I think you just have to go out and do it. So, I mean, there's a lot of people, I think maybe working with another magician and almost shadowing them. So if it's a big wedding or even a big event, then you can go, yeah, try and get booked on with them. So become friends with a magician, maybe I get a mentor and then that person can then sort of upsell you as, oh, I've got this young up-and-coming magician, he's only going to be X amount, do you mind if he comes along? Um, and then you can sort of see what's going on and how weddings work. Maybe try and get lots of, become friends with lots of people that are getting married. <laughs> I know I'm 26 now, so there's lots of my friends are going out and getting married, so I'm attending lots of weddings as a guest, which is, is quite nice. But I'm always looking and seeing how weddings operate. So maybe go online, have a look at wedding forums, find out exactly how a wedding works. I like the hard way of just going out and saying, I've, well, I've got a little motto where I say yes to everything and then work out how I do it. So when people were coming to me and they were saying, oh, you do weddings? And, oh yeah, I've done loads of weddings. And I'd, I'd done like three. And then I would go and I would learn pretty fast. But you have to be good. You have to be good at your magic so that you're not just going along. Oh yeah, you have, I suppose what I'm trying to say is you have to be honest with the bride and groom and say, yeah, I'm, I'm newish to the wedding market, but this is what I do and this is what I've done you want to book me type thing there's no point in going in because you will get caught out and saying oh yeah I do 500 weddings a year when you've only done like one a month you have to obviously be honest with the bride and groom and then I don't know where I'm going with this maybe I'm just saying don't do weddings <laughs> yeah I think it's just trial and error you just have to go out and just do it get the experience get the flight time and that's how you become better at it Great advice there. Um, final, final question on weddings, uh, just because it sprung to mind when you were talking about that. Do, do you have any kind of long-standing relationships with, with wedding planners or, or do you kind of avoid that? Yeah, I don't have any relationship with wedding planners as such. I've got quite good relationships with photographers. Um, I've got certain packages with photographers, so 
Um, obviously, photographers are almost like a necessity for a wedding. They're up there with the, the wedding dress, the cake. So if you look at the necessities, they're a golden tip. If you look at the necessities for a wedding, the, most, the things that have to be there, so like the, the dress, the photographer, almost a videographer now, have a good relationship with those types of suppliers and they can then recommend you going, have you thought about this? Maybe you should get this guy to fill in the time. Lovely. And, um, well, let's go back to the beginning for you then, Elliot. What first attracted you to, to magic? I saw my first ever magic trick in Hamley's, the toy shop in London, and I was a 10-year-old child um, watching a guy demonstrate the little dynamic coins magic trick. Wow, that's amazing. I got suckered in. I spent all my pocket money that that week on the the lot set. Suckered in, spent on, and um, yeah. Ever since from that one moment of seeing that, having that childlike wonder, um, I thought I want to try and create that again. So I, every birthday or Christmas, I was always getting little magic sets and books and DVDs, and and then yeah, I did it for school, high school. Uh, at high school, I was on I was on stage. I won a talent contest, um, and I got to perform at the big award ceremonies on stage. And I've still got the video from that, which is very embarrassing to watch back. <laughs> it's great to to keep these videos. I think it's very important to document it. So have photographs and videos of where you first started, and always do that so you can look back and see how far you've come. Um, I then came to university, moved to Edinburgh. Um, studied engineering with sports for four years. Missed my graduation ceremony because I was working on a show out in Las Vegas for three and a half weeks with some great magicians out there. I was basically backstage pulling all the strings, literally, which was amazing. Yeah. What show was that, if you were able to say? Uh, it was called The Naked Magicians, and that was the original Naked Magicians with Charles Bach, Chris Dugdale, Andrew Goldenhirsch, and Jason Bainey. Um, so yeah, it was a fantastic show brilliant guys and being out there as a 21, 22 years old, it was an amazing experience learning from those guys and especially being in Vegas and seeing how a Vegas production is, is pulled together. Yeah. So what exactly were, were you doing on this show? I was doing a lot of backstage miracles, making them look good at the front. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> I, was, I was also out flyering for them as well in a pair of boxer shorts with a naked magician's playing, giant playing card in front of me around the neck on the Vegas Strip. As a Scotsman, basically with topless Scotsman, I was basically turned from white to red, which was a magic trick in itself. Vegas is an amazing place. Three months, did you say you were there? Yeah, three and a half weeks. Three and a half weeks, sorry. Yeah, that was long um, enough. <laughs> um, yeah, what did, you, what did you make of Vegas? Um, Vegas was incredible. If no one's ever been before, I'd really recommend going for maybe three or four days. Yeah, it was, I saw the ups and downs of Vegas. I did a TEDx talk uh, last year where so much. You can check that one out, it'll plug. <laughs> Just type in Elliot Bibby TEDx and I actually talk about uh, a guy that I met in Vegas who tried to sell me a pair of well, binoculars and a machete. But in the end I just bought him a Subway sandwich. So yeah, we'll check out that story, it was pretty crazy. <laughs> And shows-wise, what, what did you see um, when you were out there that, that kind of really struck a chord with you? I like to try and see as many non-magic shows as possible so that I can be creative and see how other people are, don't use magic, almost. Um, so I saw the Cirque show, Cirque du Soleil, um, Love by the Beatles. Uh, my dad's originally from Liverpool, so I'm half scout, so it was quite nice seeing that. Uh, also being brought up with like Beatles music, it was incredible to see how they've taken circus and combined with that. Um, another circus show, um, O, oh, yeah, um, which was amazing. 
saw Penn and Teller, who are fantastic at what they do. Uh, unfortunately, I never saw Copperfield. That's I'm going to go back out there probably next year and see that. Matt King, I'd love to see. Never saw him, but yeah, I'd definitely see Matt King because that's my style of magic, comedy magic. So those two shows are. I'm probably just going to. I'll, I'll go away and book tickets tonight to see them. <laughs> it's quite interesting. For my thirtieth birthday, I went to Vegas and I watched Matt King yeah. and David Copperfield. So oh, you, you? <laughs> you've just got to wait six years. Yes, <laughs> six years. That'll be it. <laughs> It's time for Gig of the Week, Gig of the Week. This week's Gig of the Week is someone who we crept into their show almost a year ago at the Adelaide Fringe Festival with our artist passes. The way it works, if you don't know, it's uh, the Adelaide Fringe. If you're a performer, you get a pass and you can sneak in at the back of people's shows if, uh, if there's a few seats left with an artist pass and we went to watch John Hastings at the Adelaide Fringe last year and he's in Soho at the moment. So Friday and Saturday this week, that's the 8th and the 9th at 7.30 is the fantastic John Hastings Float Like a Butterfly, John Hastings Like a Bee. It's a fantastic show, there's a real narrative to it, you can tell John is a working comic with years and years and years of experience and he's truly one not to be missed. An inspiring show, an interesting show. Who could have thought you could get so much out of being hit by a car? Well, you can get a whole show from it and much more. John went on an amazing journey over the course of a year and it's all told during this hour of stand-up. Tickets are 14 pounds or 15 pounds and he's on at the Soho Theatre downstairs in central London. So check that out. John Hastings, Float Like a Butterfly, John Hastings, Like a Bee, Friday the 8th and Saturday the 9th of February, 7.30, Soho Downstairs, tickets for £14. That's this week's Gig of the Week. The number one podcast for great stories from the world of magic, circus, comedy and variety. You're listening to Talking Tricks. Seeing the stuff in Hamleys, I wonder just kind of growing up, um, who else was an inspiration to you? Probably one of the biggest influences of my magic and mentor is Chris Dugdale, who I class probably one of my best friends now. I worked on his show eight, seven, eight years ago in Edinburgh, at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. He was looking for a flyer and someone to sell magic tricks at the end of the show. I'd finished university, I'd finished working in Hamleys because I worked in Hamleys in Glasgow for two years, so that almost came full circle, basically demonstrating magic tricks. I'd finished that and I thought, what am I do now? I saw this job post, so I applied for it, I got the job. I applied two days late, but still got it. Um, and met him and Tony Middleton, and his director, producer. And yeah, basically flyered, worked so hard, flyered the show, and then became really good friends with them both. And then every year, I sort of got a bigger part in his show, so I was flying to Magistrates the first year. The next year, I was just flyering and doing a couple of bits and pieces backstage, tidying the dressing room, etc. And then I got my big cameo part where it wasn't a speaking part, but I came on dressed in a pink tutu and pink tiara one year. Following year, I then had a speaking part where it was like one sentence or something like that, but I also got shot in the back with a paintball gun. Um, now coming from my engineering degree, we had this, um, it was a whiteboard that I'd reinforced with other like black gaffer tape. We got Chris to fire a paintball at it to prove it was a real paintball gun because he was doing like a bullet catch. And the first <laughs> the first show, 
shot paintball, it went straight through the straight through the board and into my back. So yeah, so that engineering degree came in very useful for looking at materials. And um, so I was always trying to find a new material to try and make out of the board. So that was interesting. And yeah, and then I did my, my own shows and then sort of focused on that more and I was doing less of Chris, but every year he comes up to the festival I still hang out with him, still chat to him quite a lot. So he's Chris is probably my biggest influence. David Williamson, I've never met him but He's probably a big influence on the sort of comedy magic that I do. Uh, Pete Furman as well, I look up to him. Always like to watch him perform as well. Going back to you, you in Edinburgh, from a, from a backstage role to, to a front stage role doing your own show. I know you started life on the PBH Free Fringe. Um, yeah. This year, 2018, um, Muck Magic Moments. You, you kind of on the paid fringe, or is it just to remind me, is that more of a you can reserve? Reserve a seat for a price or pay what you want on the end or you want to pay? I'm just on a completely paid fringe this year, yeah. I did the PBH free fringe for four years. It was absolutely fantastic. It's a brilliant model and I'd encourage as many people as you want that are coming up to Edinburgh to do that because uh, financially I was better off doing the, well, maybe not. <laughs> I'm yet to get my figures for this year, but um, after doing the numbers, yeah, with I'm a slightly different deal because I'm getting I'm not with one of the big four, uh, Assembly, Gilded Blue, Pleasance or Underbelly. I'm getting produced by people that run the stand comedy club up here. So they they run the stand. Broken Blonde Ambition. Uh, Broken Blonde or no Blonde Ambition. Gosh, gonna kill me for saying that. Getting that wrong. So don't let don't let my producer listen to this. Yeah, so they're producing me. And it's a lot fairer than one of the big four deals, I feel personally, although I've never done a show with them, but I got offered stuff in the past. Um, and financially, it just wasn't viable for me to do that. But yeah, this year, the reason that I did the ticketed show was because I wanted, I basically needed the data. So the way it works is with the, the free fringe, obviously you, you get people along, you don't, you, you don't reserve tickets, and you have sort of no data at the end of the fringe, just a lot of money in a bucket <laughs> um, and some nice reviews hopefully so this year I thought I need the data and um, because I want to do a lot more festivals around the world and they're also going so you've done Edinburgh for the last four years how many ticket sales have you sold I'm like, well technically I've not sold any because I've done the free fringe and like okay we don't really want to chat to you then I was like all right okay so I thought I'll do that this year I'll get the, the, the data I can then say right oh I've sold quite a lot of tickets I sold out all these dates um, give me an offer please <laughs> um, and I've already got offers for other festivals around the world just by doing my run this year which has been beneficial so it's worked out for me that way yeah. I know you did Perth this year how's that? Perth Fringe in Australia was fantastic yeah and um, was a real eye-opener and um, I, I did two shows back to back for eight nights so 16 shows at 8pm and 9pm what I found in Perth is that it's what's called the nanny state because everyone goes to bed at like half eight during the week um, in the evening so my 8pm show was great I remember my very first 9pm show the very first day I had zero people <laughs> zero ticket sales so I had it was a 150 seater venue 8pm shows sold out pretty much every night 9pm during the week it's very hard to try and fill it that first show yeah zero people so I had like six pass holders came in and they're like, you really want to do the show? And I was like, well, I've not travelled halfway around the world not to do it, so yeah, I'm going to do it. And that was probably one of the best shows I've ever done out there. It was fantastic. I had a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, it was very, it was interesting performing in that climate because obviously living here in Scotland, you get like four different seasons in 
in, in like an hour <laughs> or one day. <laughs> Rain, sunshine, clouds, everything. So going out there for 8 p.m. where it's still like 27, 28 degrees at night um, and higher. Uh, there's a lot of things, so like having sweaty hands, like that can obviously make a difference to the sleight of hand, cards that warp in the heat. Um, just little things like that, trying to wear a three-piece suit that's from Top Man that's ultra skinny fit. Um, it took me a good half an hour to get out of those trousers after the first night. <laughs> so yeah, the heat does play a big part and it's just these little logistical things that you don't think about. Weather aside, what were some of the other key differences that you noticed between Edinburgh and Perth? Especially the, the audiences were a big thing. Obviously being Scottish, I talk quite fast anyway and I slow it right down on stage. Um, but yeah, I had to slow it down even slower on stage in Perth. Um, yeah, the flyering was different as well because I was out flying in a kilt, which was quite nice, um, which grabbed a lot of attention and also kept me quite cool. Um, yeah, the, there was a lot. The people out there hadn't really, they weren't as open to people in Edinburgh. Obviously, Edinburgh is one of the biggest football, but well, it is the biggest festival in the world, so you get a lot of diverse acts coming here. Um, obviously, in Australia, the not really, we don't really know what to expect. Um, so yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit of a struggle trying to present your work to them, but yeah, you get around it. And kind of knowing how um, a lot of the world fringes uh, sort of work, I can anticipate that the time of year we're talking isn't the best time of year to say exactly what you might have coming up, but what can you tell us that you, you might be looking at for the next year? And festival seasons? Yeah, okay, so I've got a rough plan. I've booked, I took a big gamble a few months back, and probably about six months ago, and the big gamble was not taking in any work, uh, booking any work for February, March, start of April, um, because I wanted to go out to Australia. So I didn't take anything, I've turned, I've probably turned down thousands of pounds worth of work um, for those months already because I've said that, oh yeah, I'm going to be in Australia. Uh, I've submitted all the forms for Australia. I've, as soon as the application forms opened for Perth, I got offered a week run in a cabaret show in a big theatre there from someone that saw me this year. So that's quite nice. So that's, that fee is basically paid for my accommodation and flights already to Perth, which is quite nice. Yeah, so I just need to try and secure a solo show, which will be my comedy magic. And I'm also in the middle of writing a family kid-friendly show as well just so I get my money's worth out there. <laughs> Try and do as many shows as possible. I'll probably take my Scottish-themed comedy magic show out there, the one that I've done in Edinburgh this year called Make Magic Moments. Yeah, I'll take that out there and then I'll, I'll write the family you know, kid-friendly show as well, which would be good. So I'll do Pear Fringe, then go down to Adelaide and do Adelaide Fringe, and then possibly the Melbourne Comedy Festival as well. But yeah, it's all up in the air at the moment. <laughs> we'll see what happens. For those that haven't seen the show, and maybe Mike, Come and see the show. Give us a hint um, of what your current show is all about. So, my style of magic, it's, it's very funny. I have a laugh. I like to try and get as many people as I can involved in the show. But I make people feel comfortable on stage. I don't take the mick out of them. Um, it's, yeah, it's all Scottish-themed magic. So, I'll take somebody's like, £10 note, make it disappear in a flash of fire and then it reappears inside like a deep fried Mars bar that I've just fried on stage. So yeah, so taking that whole Scottish theme, Scottish delicacy that. 
that's not actually in the show, but it's, it might go in the show. Yeah, a lot of whiskey is involved to the show, um, as well as the show. So yeah, Scottish flag, saltire, Loch Ness Monster, just playing on lots of all the Scottish themes, but without being too cheesy. Um, it's good, top quality, sleight of hand magic mixed with Scotland, my roots. Yeah. And fringe and weddings aside, uh, where else do you find yourself performing throughout the year? Um, so I do a lot of after dinner events. Um, I'm getting more into the sort of after dinner speaking type thing, acting as a host and compare for events, which is great fun. I really enjoy that side of it. A lot of cabaret clubs. I work about three, three, four times a week um, in Glasgow at a place called Wild Cabaret, which is a purpose-built cabaret venue. It's a great place to try out new material and and yeah, and also do it to a Glaswegian crowd, <laughs> which is. If they don't like something, they'll tell you about it. <laughs> so that's quite nice to do that. And yeah, just a lot of close-up stuff at, at corporate drink receptions as well. Yeah, I don't do, the only thing I don't do is big illusions. It's the only thing I don't do. I'm too lazy to cart them round, so I have a lot of respect for people that do that. <laughs> well, I'm a big big believer in packs more and play big, so yeah. let's leave the illusions out. Um, and in Edinburgh, do you have kind of sort of regular monthly, weekly things you do? I've uh, yeah I've just started uh, a monthly magic show myself and um, another girl Mary, so we both run the Edinburgh Magic Show, which is a Edinburgh's only monthly magic show. So we have three or four acts um, and a comedian host it every month. Flying acts from all over the world to perform. So if you happen to be in Edinburgh, then definitely check that out. Um, if you want a spot, just give me a message. You can find me on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Tinder, all the good places. Um, yeah, find me on these places, send me a message, drop me along if you want to come along perform at that show. Yeah, it's the first Thursday of the month. And where is that? What time? So that is on quarter past seven till 10pm, um, first Thursday of the month at Lulu Nightclub underneath Tiger Lake, so right in the centre of Edinburgh. And how's, how's that going so far? Is it, you know, pack it, packing it out? Is it kind of just growing and people are getting used to it? Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting because we've tried to target all different markets. So we've got a lot of tourists coming in, a lot of locals as well, which is nice. And a real demographic of people from couples to older people as well, which is nice. Yeah, so it's, it's a nice, intimate, almost living room type venue. Um, also got a little speakeasy, so it's, we have... I think they can hold about 80 at the most, but comfortably we've been getting about 35 to 40 people in, in the 40s as well, so it's, it's a nice vibe. It's not cheap, we've kept that, we've done that on purpose because we want to have a nice clientele, people to enjoy themselves. So yeah, we want to try and keep it away from the sort of student market as such. But obviously in Edinburgh you've got quite high-end students as well, so <laughs> they're always well. Everyone is welcome to sort of see the... The, uh, the magic so it's, but it's been it's been very good really, really well received within the magic community and it's great to book local acts yeah we have local up and coming magicians and the seasoned pros and then we also have a big like guest act that we bring in every month as well and uh, live entertainment aside uh, I know you did some work for the BBC social uh, a while back tell us all about that um, yeah so I sort of it was one of these opportunities that just sort of came out of nothing really. They'd seen a video that I'd posted online where I had a, a signed playing cards made by a, a guy in a fish and chip shop. He signed it, I made it disappear, oh actually I ate the card and then made it reappear inside a fish supper that he'd just made, his exact signed card. So I did that, I, uh, I posted it online, I think it had like 12 hits on YouTube or something like that. But one of those 12 people that saw it was actually someone from the BBC. 
uh, BBC Scotland. So then they got in contact saying, we've just seen your video, we really enjoyed it. Um, would you like to come and create some more content for us? And I was like, oh my God, BBC, yeah, okay. So I went in for a few meetings with them and then they got me on board and I just started creating online videos for them. Um, one of them, which is actually, is online, well, there's quite a few online now. If you type in BBC The Social, Ellie Magician, or Magic, it'll come up. A few of the most popular ones is they actually took me to Tea in the Park, the music festival, and I was backstage performing for three or four artists there, which is quite good. So we had uh, Bastille, guys were great, Tiny Temper, uh, Edith Bowman, and Tom O'Dell as well. So it was quite nice to perform for those, and all really nice people, really down to earth. So yeah, so those videos were great. Gave me a lot of exposure, and I've just started creating, I took like a year off because I was that busy with like other stuff, and I've just started creating more content for them now. Um, so that should be, that's an exclusive, um, that should be out in the next few months or so. Where can people expect to see that exactly then? Um, so that is all, on, mostly on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Um, yeah, although I will be doing a lot of, if you go on BBC The Social, um, and then just follow them, I'll be doing a few Facebook Lives with them soon. Um, so Improv Magic, you know, it's an exclusive for you. Improv Magic on Facebook Live yeah. with the BBC The Social. Elliot, what, what's your favourite uh, magic book and why? I've got two. <laughs> so the first one is Raw Road to Card Magic, um, which is quite an obvious choice, but that was, that was one of the first magic books that I got from Tam Shepherd's Trick Shop in Glasgow. Um, I went in there and I met Roy Walton, um, and I never really had a real magic mentor. I, I've sort of self-taught. I learned from books and just chatting to other people. But uh, that was the book recommended to me by him. I studied that. I learned all the basics, and I now create my own effects. You based on some of the effects in that book. Uh, the second one is Etienne Pradier's Le Carte de Magic. I think it's called. Um, shoot me if it's wrong but that was another book that I got and I saw Etienne was one of the first lecturers that I saw I saw that I saw at Four Valley Magic Circle um, many years ago and I studied this four ace trick out of that and, and learned that and that was one of my it's probably the most slight of hand that I ever learned from a young age so that's the from that book yeah. two great books to check out there oh, I'm talking tricks Elliot thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for having me Thank you for listening to Talking Tricks with Cade and Abel. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast.